0: Welcome to Biblical Foundations, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Studies at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm your co host, Jimmy Rowe, along with Dr. Andreas Kostenberger. Join us as we discuss issues in biblical scholarship for the church. As you know, um, Richard Baucom has written a very influential influential work on the Gospels, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. Uh, For our listeners who are maybe not as familiar with Baucom's work, he stresses the character of the Gospels as eyewitness testimony. Um, at the same time, if I remember correctly, Balcom doesn't hold to Matthaean or Joannian authorship. Uh, how would you position yourself in this regard? And what are we to make of the fact that the Gospels don't provide a description of Jesus' physical appearance or much, much information about his early years, his childhood? Uh, in what ways are these omissions, typical or untypical, for ancient
1: biographies? Ancient biographies usually do have something about the early years. They, they don't always have a lot. Sometimes I think it depended on how much the biographer knew about the early years. But sometimes also it has to do with what they what they wanted to focus on, what was most important. Of course, Matthew and Luke have uh, infancy narratives. John, as I said a few moments ago, he goes, goes way back to the beginning, uh, in the beginning. Mm. And... Uh, echoing the old testament and then mark i think also implies uh, something that goes back before because he you know immediately speaks of the beginning of a, of the good news about jesus christ the son of god but then he he immediately uh, in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1 quotes scripture about one who is come to prepare the way of the lord And goes on to speak of John preparing the way of the Lord, and Jesus therefore being the Lord, the one who's prophesied. So he's actually going back before the birth as well to, um, in a sense, a more important origin in terms of the the mission of the the way of the Lord. Um, Now, in terms of physical description, that often occurs in ancient biographies, but by no means does it always occur in ancient biographies. So, that's not specifically necessary for the for the focus. Uh, Richard Bauckham and I, I, you know, we agree with with each other's points. We're we're doing something different. Um, he's emphasizing that he's not saying that that eyewitnesses wrote all the gospels, and and of course none of us would say that Mark or Luke were eyewitnesses, or almost none of us would say that Mark or Luke are, were eyewitnesses, but um, But Richard is saying it it goes back to eyewitnesses. It has the character of eyewitness material, and and I agree with that. Um, My approach is to say, well, what would we expect from ancient biographies that were from within living memory? In terms of overlap with what Richard is doing, it would be to say, well, normally when ancient historians or biographers were writing within living memory, they would try to get Access to the eyewitness sources, whether written or oral, um, but but mine is dealing more with the genre than with that. Now, in terms of the the authorship, actually, and Andreas Knight and are among the minority of uh, scholars in the wider guild, uh, those those who are read out, outside of uh, evangelicals. But we're mm-hmm. we're among the minority who argue that well, actually, I don't think we're among the minority who argue that. John was an eyewitness. I think we're just among the, the minority who argue that John was was John. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, we we, we have uh, uh, in that Andreas and I would would differ from um, Richard Bachum, although he does think that John was an eyewitness. He just thinks it was a different John, not not John the Apostle.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, uh, Greg, one thing that I'm intrigued by uh, is, you know, you generally talk more broadly about, you know, the genre of the Gospels, even though, of course, you have specific treatments of each and every one of them. But uh, are there any maybe minor or, or, you know, degrees of difference in genre between Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, individually and then also between them and John on the other, and I know you cover this in your book, but uh, for example, you call Luke a bio-history and an apologetic historiography. Uh, in my work on John's gospel, also, I, I found that, that John has certain dramatic qualities, and there's some literature on that. You know, John is, is drama that is not as evident in in the other gospels. Uh, so could, uh, could you maybe, you know, briefly comment on that, and our listeners, they just so they know, uh, you generally presuppose Mark and Priority uh, and uh, what's called the two-source hypothesis uh, in your book. Um, I I agree with that, uh, which is the majority consensus view, which is that, that Mark was the first to write his gospel, and and subsequently both Matthew and Luke drew on on Mark as one of their sources and, as you mentioned, at least one other likely shared source. So, so the question is, you know, what about any... Uh, genre differences all within the overall genre of biography between you know Matthew Mark and Luke and, yeah. and John.
1: Yeah, when we we speak of ancient biography, obviously not all ancient biographies were exactly the same. So um, they they mm. they use historical right. events, but there's there there are differences among them. So there's kind of a range of what they did. With their events, how they articulate them, and uh, arrange in terms of their focus. So most biographies did care about um, making what uh, Roman Roman rhetoricians would call exempla, that is, uh, moral examples uh, that could be used to draw to draw lessons from. Uh, historians did the same thing, and often they talk about this in their writings. So you could learn practical things from, from biographic material, lessons in terms of how to behave or how not to behave, uh, lessons in terms of um, what to do politically or militarily or not, uh, and, and also often they would have uh, theological lessons or at least theological assumptions, and, and we see that in Dionysius of Helicarnassus, uh, Dio Cassius, certainly in Josephus. And of course, we see Mm -hmm. it in the Old Testament historians. And so it's no surprise that we have those kind of emphases in the Gospels as well. Um, Now, in Mm -hmm. terms of uh, their focus, I think because you have Luke-Acts together as two volumes of one work, um, sometimes what you would have in antiquity, you would have a multi-volume history. But within that multi-volume history, you would have a particular volume that would be a biography of a particular figure. So, when we take Luke Acts together, I think we can see it as a as a history or historical monograph. But when we take um, mm-hmm. Luke by itself, it's it's biography. So it's a biographic component within a larger history. Those genres overlapped enough right. that I don't really see that as as problematic. Um, John. Yeah, I think I think you put it well in terms of um, the dramatic way that he he depicts things. And I have to admit, you know, I did this, I guess, 1600 page commentary on John. And I I do not have right. everything mm-hmm. figured out on John. I'm still working on that. Uh, but,
2: yeah. Same here. <laughs> so uh,
1: I have a lot to learn from you and from Paul Anderson and other uh, Paul, Paul is another mm-hmm. one of us who thinks that yeah. uh, John the apostle is the author, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. still still trying to figure out how it all fits together, but just intrigued by it sure. very much. Uh,
0: in chapter four, you speak of Jesus as being more, but not less than mm-hmm. a sage. And so, um, uh, Maybe you can explain a bit more. Isn't SAGE more of a Greco-Roman philosophical designation? Well, the Gospels present Jesus as more but not less than a Jewish rabbi. Um, actually, in later in your book, you have an entire chapter, chapter 15, entitled mm-hmm. Jesus Was a Teacher. Uh, can you elaborate yeah, on this? Yeah, by
1: SAGE, I'm, I'm just using using that as a broader uh, rubric for um, a teacher. Um of whether it's a philosopher or a rabbi, um, rabbi can hold some more particular connotations, just like philosopher does. Uh, when you have like Sirach, uh, or the son of Sirach, uh, sage kind of fits him. Rabbi, that, that designation as a title probably didn't exist yet at the time that Sirach wrote. And so situating Jesus in terms of Jewish teachers somewhere between uh, Sirach uh, in the pre-Christian era and what became the rabbinic movement, um, often Jewish teachers told parables. um, They often spoke uh, graphic sayings that would grab your attention, often using hyperbole or rhetorical overstatement. Uh, a number a number of ways that jesus was characteristic of of jewish sages at the same time um, well I, I make that comparison partly because uh, of biographies of sages that was a particular kind of, of biography where people would collect uh, the sayings of, of their teachers the behavior of their teachers Greeks tended to do to do that in a way that we don't have for the later rabbis, but again, if you're writing in the diaspora and you're using biographies as a genre, um, you know, if you were writing about a rabbi, then you could use that kind of of genre. But but Jesus uh-huh. is not just a sage. Um, normally, the uh, Jerusalem elite wouldn't bother to seek the execution of just a sage who, who wasn't really uh, <laughs> causing too much trouble in public. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Jesus overturns the tables. Right. Jesus has a massive following, especially in Galilee. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is also a public figure. And yeah. of course, uh, and I dealt with this more in the historical Jesus of the Gospels, but the Gospels uh, consistently right. portray Jesus not just as a teacher obviously but as more than a teacher, as a prophet and more than a prophet ultimately as Messiah, as Son of God and, and so forth and that's that's consistent in, in in all of our earliest material about Jesus. But in terms of what we have of ancient biographies in general in this period we do have biographies mm-hmm. of sages, we do have biographies of uh, public figures and uh, taken together it gives us uh, ways that we can make some analogies for understanding the character of the gospels
2: that's great yes and just returning you know one more time to the literary genre of, of, of gospel the later in your book you point out that um, that some distance from the events is often helpful uh, when writing biography but not too much distance because then the connection between the the person writing the biography and his subjects may become more tenuous and remote. Uh, you, you say uh, on page 257 that the generation likeliest to supply the most useful memory of a person by ancient standards might be the generation just after the person's death. So just... Uh, you know i I think it's fascinating. I, are you meaning to imply that eyewitnesses themselves typically didn't write biographies but rather served as sources for the next generation who did or or do you mean something different yeah,
1: eyewitnesses could write biographies. I mean, we do have we do have some examples of that. and of course, you know I think John is is right. an example of it
2: right. Yeah, would be an example um,
1: but. Uh, Often, teachers, for example, or sages, left the matter of publication to their disciples, uh, but sometimes it could be disciples mm-hmm. of the disciples. or You know, most people didn't actually, mm-hmm. uh, well, most literate people and most educated people didn't actually do the writing themselves. They dictated it. <laughs> so sometimes people talk about, sure. well, you know, the, the disciples were illiterate. I don't think that's that would could be true of Matthew if he was a tax collector, but um, right. but even yeah. if the disciples were illiterate, uh, you didn't have to be literate to dictate, and and uh, you didn't mm-hmm. you know certainly if you're leading a movement, you're going to have people within the movement who are literate. You're going to have people within the movement who are able to to compose on the level of the Gospels for sure. Sure. And in the case of um, uh, remind me again of the I, I go off on tangents and then I forget where I'm at.
2: No, no. I think the the idea what you said that that the John may be the case of an eyewitness who actually himself wrote a biography might in part I think be counted for by his uh, unusually yes. long lifespan. Right. That that you know he um, in his case he simply <laughs> uh, was able to to, to still uh, tackle the task himself rather than handing it off to. To his disciples after his death, I I wonder, you know, if that maybe accounts for Richard Balkham's reluctance to attribute, uh, I mean, that kind of trajectory to attribute the writing of, of say Matthew and John to to you know Matthew and John themselves because of what you articulated maybe as a as a typical premise that he would often be the you know the uh, uh, the followers of a teacher after their you know the person's death, but. Uh, as, as you mentioned, no, it's not absolute. Uh, Xenophon, so.
1: in what we sometimes call protobiography, he wrote about Agesilaus. Um, I believe Cornelius Nepos also wrote about uh, somebody that mm-hmm. that he was friends with. Uh, I actually had a student write a dissertation. Uh, T. Edward Wright wrote a uh, or Edward T. Wright, sorry, wrote a dissertation about um, different figures in antiquity who wrote biographies of people that they knew, and then used that as a comparison for for John, the beloved disciple writing about about Jesus. In terms of writing during the events, uh, often ancient historians thought that was too close. One reason had to do Mm -hmm. with political exigencies. Like I mentioned earlier, Nicolaus of Damascus writing about Augustus. Well, you better only sure. write nice things if you're writing during the time of the, <laughs> of the emperor. Yep. And uh, we see that, for example, with um, one historian called Valleus Paterculus. You know, when he's writing, the, uh, the head of the Praetorian guard at that point was Sejanus, uh, or Sejanus, who, who right. was uh, really close to the emperor Tiberius. And anybody that got in trouble with Sejanus got executed. So, you know, obviously you're going to write nice things about Sejanus, and Valerius Paterculus did. Uh, Tacitus is writing a little bit later, and we get all the dirt on Sejanus. He didn't come out very nicely afterwards. <laughs> mm-hmm. Having some historical yes. perspective also shows you, you know, you see where where events lead. You you see the the outcomes of events, and so you see what's more significant in the longer run. Um, of course, what we're most concerned about and what the Gospels are most concerned about is what matters most in the long run of eternity. But even in terms of uh, you know, just a generation later, the, the Encyclopedia Britannica article uh, on Adolf Hitler, before Hitler went very far, uh, talks more about him being a vegetarian than it talks about his... His, uh, I mean, it's more concerned with his diet than Mm -hmm. with his plan to eradicate non-Aryans and so on. Uh, Obviously, after World War II, you know, the article was more substantive. And um, (laughs) so some historical distance is helpful. But at the same time, you want to keep the, the living connection in terms of people who actually knew the eyewitnesses, or at the least, you're depending on sources for that. Papias, writing in mm-hmm. I think the very early second century, talks about uh, hearing about these reports about the apostles from those who heard them, and he speaks of of hearing from John the Elder. Uh, but I think, and, and I think uh, Andreas, you and I both both hold this that he means the same mm-hmm. John that he's just referred to among the apostles who also were elders, right. uh, namely John the the apostle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that Eusebius separated that mainly because he didn't like the book of Revelation. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: anyway. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And obviously, again, John had such yeah. a long lifespan that that even though he still most likely wrote the gospel, he still would have had uh, that distance yeah. probably, you know, more so than, say, yeah. Mark or others. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you also speak of the historical intention of the gospel writers. Um On page 67, you say that, while we may recognize the evangelists' emphases and question question them on matters of detail, uh, we ultimately have little to work with for alternative reconstructions if we dismiss the Gospel uh, materials. And uh, you insist that we should consider the Gospels themselves as evidence, rather than saying other than the New Testament Gospels, we have no evidence, and implying that we have no evidence when we actually have the Gospels. Uh, What are the implications then from your work when interacting with uh, maybe more skeptical scholars? um, For example, Bart Ehrman, who alleges that the Gospels are riddled with inaccuracies and contradictions. Of course, as you mentioned in your book, Ehrman believed Jesus existed, but he thinks the Gospels writers frequently contradict one another in their accounts.
1: Yeah. The the Gospel writers... Yeah, some of the things he sees as contradictions, I see as complementary perspectives or complement information. Exactly. But uh, so so, I mean, there are differences there, but the the differences don't have to amount to to contradictions. In terms of the nature of ancient biography, we should expect it, especially when it's when it's within living memory. We should expect it to be historically based i mean that was the nature of the genre that's what we find like if you compare suetonius's works on somebody within living memory like the emperor otho with um what tacitus writes about otho in his histories and what uh, plutarch writes about otho in his biographies you you compare those i made Mm -hmm. i made a chart just Compar- yes, very helpful in three yeah. parallel columns. Uh, the same, the same as we we often do with the Gospels, and it's like clearly they're not trying to make up things. This is an information-based genre. It's very, very unlike uh, novels, and it's not just you know legends that, that grew over centuries of time. I mean that old model of of um, mm-hmm. at least certain kinds of form criticism. That, that grew out of uh, studies of, of Russian and German folk tales that have been passed on for centuries. And f- first of all, the gospels as recent biographies are, are not comparable to folk tales. They're trying to depend on information that they consider actual information about, about a recent historical character. And, and secondly, this isn't information that's been passed on for centuries. This is recent information. And even in studies of oral tradition, they distinguish between oral history, uh, the period when there's still living memory of the person, and uh, oral tradition. But even with oral tradition, uh, you you have condensing it into, into certain points, but You normally expect, even with oral tradition, that there's a historical basis to it. Uh, But but with the Gospels, we're not even talking about oral tradition. We're talking about oral history, the the earlier period of that. So um, I I, I can also uh, illustrate this in terms of, and this is comparable to what uh, Richard Bauckham says about the Gospels' as testimony, the Jesus of testimony. Um, Mm -hmm. When I was working on my earlier historical Jesus of the Gospels, I was trying to uh, only argue from the critical minimum that scholars normally used. So not saying that's all I believed, mm-hmm. but there's a danger of trying to, um, you know, when, we, when we're when we dialoguing with people and we're, we're saying, okay, here's something we all agree on, let's build on this. Let's see where where this can lead us. That can be useful for dialogue, but if you get in the habit of thinking that way, I got in the habit of thinking that way while I was working on that book and sometimes my wife would say something to me and I would would respond without thinking, uh, can you give me evidence for that assertion? Well, (laughs) my wife's PhD is in history and... She uh, made a very important point after that, which basically is, look, if you have the testimony of a credible eyewitness, that is itself evidence. So, you know, if Matthew, Mark, yes. Luke, and John mm. are normally correct where we can test them, <laughs> chances are, you know, we should we should accept their testimony and everything else too, uh, unless we have good reason to, to do otherwise. And of course, again, it's, you know, those of us who believe mm. it's inspired have really good reason to go even beyond that. But in terms of in terms of yeah. trusting what the gospels say, but um, I uh, I learned my lesson.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it you know you're talking about you know the old paradigm you know uh, basing the gospels research on on folklore studies. It it kind of makes me. Think back to when I grew up as a boy in Austria, and I would hear, you know, Hansel and Gretel, and mm-hmm. and you know some of the other, uh, you know, fairy tales. And you know, clearly, I think you know most of us would uh, agree that the, the gospels are are <laughs> rather different uh, in genre. Well, Craig, uh, I know we've only scratched the surface in our discussion of the gospel genre and of your book today, I'd certainly recommend that those among our listeners who are uh, further interested in the subject actually get Dr. Keener's book and, and read it. Uh, in its entirety, we've we haven't even touched on other important uh, subjects you discuss in in your book, such as literary conventions in ancient biographies or or memory studies. You know, part five and and the light they shed on the genre of the gospels. I feel like the author of Hebrews says, "You know, we've run out of time here." Uh, but uh, as we conclude, I, I mentioned at the outset of our podcast that your book is only a. Uh, a on a preliminary study, in a way, to the question of the actual historical reliability of the Gospels. Though it's it's very important, and you do give plenty of examples. So, uh, I wonder, is there any possibility you might write a sequel to Christ Biography, where you actually do address the historical reliability of the Gospels directly, based on on your preliminary work in this I, volume? I have
1: been itching to. Um to get back to Paul, <laughs> and right like like I did with the mind <laughs> of the spirit and um, and and so on. But right. um, and I did I did do some in the historical Jesus the Gospels, and in my Matthew commentary, yes, and my John commentary. But um, I, I was thinking I was going to be getting back to Paul, but then I was asked for the ICC series to do a commentary on Mark, and I figured. Mm-hmm. This is just such a great opportunity, so I'm going to I'm going to be doing yeah. that. Uh, that's going to probably tie me up for the next few years, um, <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I'll be able to explore that to to some degree. Again, I'm going to be writing it on the you know the scholarly level, so I'm going to be uh, there's certain certain sure. epistemological presuppositions that I personally hold that I'm not going to be able to um, articulate. Um, explicitly in the book I'll have to deal more with um, the the more widely held epistemological presuppositions but there's so much there I mean Mm -hmm. just being able to work from Mark being an ancient biography uh, and what was expected of ancient biographies that just shifts the the, um, default setting in such a way that it, it enables me to start with the premise that, you know, these, these, uh, these reports are reports that, well, and, and, and also I, I think that um, I do take very seriously Papias' report that Mark got this from Peter. <laughs> so I think it ultimately does go back to an eyewitness. So, um, so I'm, I'm glad I'll be able to do that with what I think is the first gospel, because uh, that, that uh, sets a, uh, Kind of a, a pattern for for the the gospels that follow um i i do i mean now i think if i if i were writing on matthew i'd be able to do a lot more uh if i were writing on john now i'd be able to do a lot more but uh i'm i'm almost 60 so i figure i better <laughs> number my days carefully <laughs>
0: Well, Dr. Keener, we want to thank you for joining us today and and taking the time to share about your work with us. We're very grateful for your outstanding work and and pray for many more years of fruitful ministry.
1: Thank you so much. It's such a privilege to be with
0: you. Thank you for joining us today at Biblical Foundations. For more information, please visit the Center for Biblical Studies at Midwestern at cbs.mbts.edu. For further resources, please also visit biblicalfoundations.org. Please join us again next time at the Biblical Foundations Podcast.